Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Just to, to explain to you, this class that you're in uh, is about, uh, about how to take your Bible studies uh, and make them to, to be more evangelical. In other words, changing your philosophical approach to Bible study so that it becomes a tool that God can use to reach the lost. That's what this series of messages is going to be about. Pastor Dan Renault and I will be um, sharing the pulpit for the next three days, and we'll be addressing that topic. I'll share more about that here in a moment, okay? Cool? All right. And there's no handout today, but there will be one in, in the next two sessions, okay? So be ready to take notes manually today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you uh, for, this, for this conference. God, we're so grateful for what we've been given already. I feel, I feel spiritually full and we've only just started the day and we've got a whole two more days ahead of us and, and how, how we can hold on to this, I, I, I don't know. Uh, thank you for the archive, I guess. Um, but, but God, we do pray that wh- whatever we can hold in our hands, whatever our heart can hold, that it would only be the things that are the most needful for change in our lives right now. And Lord, that, that as we leave, we would be able to take practical steps Uh, towards greater surrender to you and your call on our life. Ultimately, Lord, we want to worship you and we want the the result of that worship to be use. So, so Lord, please use us, spend us. Uh, Lord, exhaust us for your sake so that that at the end of this life we can stand before you. Uh, Lord, servants that have have done exactly what you've asked. so that we can stand before you approved. We ask for your help. We ask for your help in our time today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, <clears throat> the question, so today's uh, uh, message is five keys to a healthy Bible study. Five keys to a healthy Bible study. And, and um, this could also uh, be referred to as five values that every Bible study should have. And the more I've looked at this, the more I've thought that these are actually values that every dis- discipleship relationship should have. And so what we're gonna be talking about today is, is actually just the spirit of Bible study and, and what it should look like in terms of character. Um, and, and before we get to that, the question that you're gonna hear us uh, ask over and over again is what do we want from our Bible studies? What is it that we want from our Bible studies? The next uh, three days, you're gonna be hearing us basically re-asking that question over and over again. When we talk about Bible study, most of us are referring to a small group setting of primarily Christians who are opening their Bible together. We understand that's that's what Bible study is. Tomorrow we'll talk about what what some people have turned Bible study into. We'll discuss that a little bit. But as far as Living Faith Fellowship goes and our family of churches, we're referring to a small group of people that are gathering in a home or in a church basement somewhere who are opening the Bible together. And when we are talking about 
churches of our background, we often want Bible study to be the following. Okay, this is what we usually say when, when we're talking about what we want our Bible studies to be. We want Bible studies to help us grow in our knowledge of God's word. That's clear, isn't it? That's, I mean, it's, it's evident in the name Bible study that what we want our Bible studies to be is a place where we're growing in the knowledge of God's word. Another thing we might say is that we want Bible studies to hold us accountable. So when we say Bible study, a lot of times what we should be saying is, or what we should be implying is that Bible study is also a small community of people. And those people are gonna hold each other to the standards of the word of God that they're learning each time they come together, right? So it should also be a time of accountability. I think we would all agree to that. We also want our Bible studies to help provide a social setting for us to have Christian peers. As I look out in here, um, I'm, I'm really thankful to see a lot of young adults in here. Um, a lot of what Dan and I talk about is gonna be geared towards you because most of our ministry life has been spent investing in young adults. And, and I really do believe that the tools that you're gonna get over the next few days are gonna empower you to set an example in your church that even the elders in your church can learn from, okay? Um, but, uh, but what we usually want Bible studies to be is a space where we can have peers. We can have peers. We can have a friend group, people that we can go hang out with, and we know that that person is going to think philosophically about God's word the same way I do. They're going to hold me accountable. We're going to be friends. We're going to spend time together, okay, doing life together. Those are the types of things that we want Bible study to be. Now, all these things are great, and they're all needful, but what we want to suggest to you over the next few days is that Bible study can be more than edification, it can be more than edification. It can be evangelical. It can be a space where lost people enter in. They don't feel excluded. They don't feel on the outside. You can get everything that you want from a Bible study, but also see people come to the Lord and get saved. Now, I mean, I think all of us would agree that that's something that we want, but a lot of times our Bible studies are put together in ways that don't really afford that and don't allow it. And we're really hoping that over the next few days you're going to gain uh, tools and insight that are going to make your Bible studies more evangelical. Now, before I get into uh, the content for today, I, I, want to, um, I want to invite Jacob. Jake, I know this is a little early. You weren't expecting it this early, but I'm inviting you now. And so, everybody, this is Jake Bush, and he deserves a round of applause, first, first of all. Because he's not real stoked about being in front of people. But, but Jake um, has a testimony of salvation through Bible study. And, um, and I'll let him share that. I don't want to give too much away. But Jake has been discipled. Uh, Jake is in, currently in D2. And his life has been forever changed by being a part of a Bible study uh, that would have probably been almost two years ago now when you started attending. December of 2017. Okay. So I'm going to let you share about that a little bit. Is that okay? Yeah. So I was only expecting like 15 or 20 people in here. <laughs> so this is, this is good. Um, yeah. So when I first came to Bible study, I was definitely a guy just like without hope, without purpose, really just like seeking that like anywhere I could find it and really just coming up short everywhere. Um, so going into it, I was thinking, like, maybe I'll find the hope I'm looking for in the God of the Bible. Um, and, man, just the first night I came, we were in John 8, um, 
And you, you guys, I'm assuming a lot of people here know John 8, and it's where the Pharisees bring the woman who's caught in adultery to Christ. And they ask her, like, should we stone her? That's what the law says. And Christ, I'm going to skip a little bit ahead, but he says, like, he that is without sin casts the first stone. And, like, just immediately, like, the word hit me and it showed me that I've been prideful and haven't seen my sin, like, most of my life. Um, and, man, that was, like, the first time I've ever actually opened the Bible. And I think the thing that was really powerful about Discovery Bible Method was that um, it created an environment where I could just see what the Word of God said for myself. Because all of my life, I've just heard what people said about it. I've heard what the world has said about it, and it's just mainly mockery. And so that was kind of my stance on it. But people were praying for me for months, and I finally came, and I had a, a softened heart to actually hear what God was saying through his word, you know. And it wasn't just people trying to, like, shove truth down my throat or anything like that. It was just letting the word of God speak for itself. And, man, like God hit me, like, the first time I ever opened up the Bible. Like, didn't take long. <laughs> and after months of coming, you know, uh, I, like, realized that there was truth in the Bible, but, you know, after coming and coming and coming, I realized that the word of God is truth. And, man, like, it's the thing that should be conducting my life. And, man, on March 27, 2018, I gave my life to Christ. And, man, since then, like, it's just been, it's been awesome. Yeah. I think there's more, but I don't, <laughs> I was not prepared. Thanks. I don't know if you caught that, if you did the math, but Jake attended a Bible study for essentially four months, right, before he actually accepted Jesus Christ. He didn't feel like an outsider. <clears throat> he didn't feel um, like, he like he had no knowledge, uh, that he, uh, he didn't feel like the guys in the group uh, had some sort of elite insight, uh, but they created an environment that was conducive for him to see for himself what the Word of God says. Now this is not, this concept isn't revolutionary. There's missionaries all over the world taking this very approach in cultures where there's, where the, the word of God is not prevalent, right? People sitting down week after week in cafes, opening God's word and patiently walking through it with the lost. Um, but I think here in America, what we've done is we've hijacked Bible study to be purely edifying, self-consuming. And uh, we use it as an opportunity for self, but we've kind of lost the mentality that Bible study uh, can be powerful in this way. And so what you're gonna be hearing over the next few days, tomorrow you'll be hearing about discovery Bible method that, that Jake was referring to as a way of opening up God's word and a, essentially a construct for doing Bible study that allows lost people to feel apart and learn. And then on Wednesday, Dan will be talking about creation to Christ, which is a curriculum uh, that allows you to, you can use it in a discovery method format, you can preach it, you can do it in a one-on-one -on -one setting, and creation to Christ basically allows someone to walk through uh, the narrative of scripture, seeing Jesus Christ uh, in, in each individual study, and it's a great evangelical tool that Dan is gonna be talking about. Today we're gonna to be talking, so we talk, tomorrow we'll talk about construct, Wednesday we'll talk about curriculum. Today we're gonna to talk about character, about character, about the character of our Bible studies and about how we can establish healthy Bible studies. We're gonna discuss the culture of our Bible studies and whether or not they're actually in a position to achieve fruitfulness. 
And so we'll be discussing the qualities that every healthy Bible study should have. And before we do that, I would like to, to, to talk about the natural cycle of an unhealthy Bible study. Okay, the, the natural cycle of an unhealthy Bible study. When a Bible study is unhealthy, it can produce many abnormal behaviors. There's a, there's a progressive nature to unhealthy Bible studies. And we can see oftentimes as we walk through these, you're going to know people, you're going to be able to picture people in your mind that in Bible studies in past have taken on these character qualities which have the potential of being venomous. All right? So we're going to discuss real quick what some of those, those, those unhealthy character qualities of a Bible study can be. And just like an unhealthy tooth, decay isn't always notice, noticeable in the beginning. You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, I haven't had a cavity in a really long time. I just want to say that. <laughs> but I know uh, from my childhood that when you have a cavity, it's not always noticeable at first, right? It, it pops up. You, have, you, you, eat, um, you eat an ice cream cone, and suddenly there's a tenderness, and you reckon, oh, yeah, I can ignore that. That's no big deal. Maybe I just brush too hard, right? But then as time pass, passes, right, you begin to notice that something's not quite right. And by the time you do, it's usually too late, and you're in for a filling. There's not much you can do about it uh, besides have some, some, you know, some dentist dig around in your mouth and have some soreness for an afternoon, right? And, and I think Bible studies, if, if, if the unhealthy aspects of our Bible studies go unaddressed, the pain may increase and, and ultimately result in serious issues and make your Bible studies defunct, useless. And so the first thing I want to talk about is some of the behaviors that we see in Bible study. And the first thing I want to address is the pledge, Okay, these will come to you in five Ps, of course, because that's what, that's what Baptists do, is we alliterate. So the first P is pledge, pledge. The first thing you often see in new Bible study members is a spirit of commitment. It's very easy to commit to a Bible study, and for many people, joining a Bible study or signing up for discipleship represents a personal turning of a new leaf, right? We always, we see this over and over again, We'll have a guy or a gal, will come to church, they'll hear a message, they get excited, and they immediately go out into the lobby, they sign up for discipleship, or, or they join a Bible study, and they make a lot of commitments. They make vows, they make pledges. They say, this is what I'm doing now. This, this, is, this is what God is going to do in my life. And, and, and uh, so they say all these things about what they assume that God is going to do. The problem with pledges is that they're often short-lived, and when a pledge, of, a pledge of devotion is unkept, it produces a sense of failure. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? You got to be real careful with vows. And we often we're not. Often we make vows very willy-nilly. And what can happen is if you, if you pledge yourself to commit to something, and then somewhere along the way, you fail to keep that pledge, suddenly a corrosive nature begins to, to rise up in your spirit and you can let yourself down very easily, and then we can find that person or even ourselves on a path towards walking away. See, time proves whether or not someone is truly surrendered to the vision of a Bible study. And a pledge of loyalty has nothing to do with that. 
So listen to me. Without a healthy Bible study, listen, without a healthy Bible study, how will people's vows be transformed into true surrender? That's the question. Without a healthy Bible study, how will the vows and the pledges that immature believers make be converted into true surrender? It's an important question because a, the, a pledge has the potential of being corrosive if it doesn't become surrender. The next P would be passion. Lots of times in Bible studies, we'll see a zealous flame in someone. And it often stokes the fire of everybody in the Bible study, doesn't it? You have someone who's really excited, really passionate about the Lord. Uh, uh, you know, maybe they're coming out of a lifestyle of sin. Perhaps they've seen their prayers being answered and their excitement begins to build. Maybe their love, uh, they love the new friendships in the Bible study. You know what I'm talking about? You join a Bible study and someone's just really excited about the new friendships. They're excited to have friends. And their zeal becomes infectious. And everybody rides that wave, and everybody's really glad to have a new person that's a part of the Bible study that's very, very excited. Passion is a good thing. But there's a danger in unbridled passion. What if they have a dry spell in God's word? What if that passion suddenly meets a dry spell in God's word? What if their prayers suddenly aren't answered the way that they imagine they should be? What if there's a, a strain in one of their church relationships? What happens when that person's passion begins to dwindle? If we're not careful, our Bible studies will not be able to support when people are struggling in this way. Especially, and I'm speaking, when I'm saying this, I'm speaking to Bible studies that are comprised of young believers. Sometimes we, we, we can ride that wave of passion, but when that passion crashes, we don't know how to respond in a healthy way to help that person. So without a healthy Bible study, how will people's passions be tempered by true faith? That's the question. Without a healthy Bible study, how will people's passions be tempered by real faith? The next thing is performance. A lot of times we'll see people who are quick to, to, to want to perform for the Bible study. Many people in Bible study are excited by the work or the, sh uh, uh, or the show of Bible study, right? Some of you maybe have been a part of Bible studies like this, where, where everybody is, is, is putting together a study to come and impress the people in their Bible study. You know what I'm talking about? They go away, and they put together a study, and they want it to be super awesome so that when they come back, they can wow all the people in their Bible study. And we can be really quick to that, to inherit a perspective of performance in our Bible studies. Perhaps it feels elite to be in that Bible study. Or maybe they feel really good about being on a team. And, and so there could be all kinds of different things that can happen. Many people join Bible studies as an opportunity to be accepted. You know what I'm talking about? People want to be a part of a Bible study because they want that community thing. And so what they do is they have a tendency to perform, put on displays of knowledge and theological aptitude, grand displays of emotions. You guys know that person in Bible study? Maybe they're not the knowledge person. Maybe they're, they're the emotion person in the Bible study. And week after week, they're in Bible study performing emotional feats to garner attention, right? They're crying a lot, or, or their prayer list is the longest in the group, or 
nothing's ever right, right? They can perform in that way. Or maybe they're the person in the group that's pious, and they're constantly serving, and they're hiding behind their servitude. Hey, hey, can I get, let me fill your coffee up. And they're in and out of the room, and they're distracted because they're putting on a performance of piety. And these are all things that have the potential to be corrosive. It's easy for Bible study to accidentally give people a platform for attention or to get their ego stroked. What happens when they don't get the attention the way that they want? What happens when they don't get the attention that they want? See, listen, without a healthy Bible study, how will their religious naivety blossom into spiritual maturity? Right? Without the right environment, the right culture, the right focus, how do we take those people who tend to perform and convert them into people of true spiritual maturity who are consistent, faithful, serving, showing up with a Bible study without a desire to perform, but simply because that's the call to worship in their life? Does that make sense? So performance can be something that's very unhealthy in a Bible study. Another thing that we see is passivity. For many, those pledges begin to fade. They begin to fade. The passions fade, the performance fades, and people grow apathetic. You know, the person who comes to Bible study out of obligation a little bit, and you can see a spirit of passivity in them, inconsistency in their attendance. People you thought you could count on to be prepared, grow irresponsible, right? You know what I'm talking about? See, passivity is a telltale sign of drifting away, going prodigal. And we've all seen it. Something distracts a young believer or they get bent out of shape and they suddenly, all the things that they, they were once excited about, all the things that they were making pledges about, how, the, how much they loved their small group, all those things become distant memories and they begin to, to fade out. They take steps away. See, what happens when people grow cold and distant in our Bible studies? What happens? See, without a healthy Bible study, how will they be held accountable in seasons of indifference or drifting? Without a healthy Bible study, it's almost impossible to hold those people accountable in love and draw them out of that place of drifting. And the, the final stage, the final stage in this cycle of unhealthy Bible studies is a person's departure. This is the, this is the stage of the prodigal. Just like that, someone leaves and, and there was not necessarily anything you could do about it. Right? Sometimes people leave and there's nothing you can do about it. But pray. Either way, people do decide to leave church. People do decide to walk away from discipleship. People do abandon Bible studies. It happens. It's a fact of spiritual life. And I think for, and I know this for a fact. I see this in our young people in Kaya. For a young person who hasn't lived through, through much spiritual life, a lot of ministry, it can be devastating. For the, for, to see their friends walk away from a Bible study, walk away from discipleship. It can be absolutely devastating. And it can throw a young believer who's excited about the Lord and depression to depression for weeks or even months. And, and to be honest with you, 
man, you know, that might be, that might be emotionally out of balance, but I want to say this, that burden is right, and some of us who've been through some ministry life are a little bit too jaded. Some of us would do well, who've been around the ministry block, do well to be a little depressed when we watch people walk away. If you've gotten in the habit of just trumping things up to saying, well, you know, this happens sometimes, and then you go about your daily business of ministry, maybe we need a little bit more of that zeal that a young person has, right? But we do see people part, and it can be discouraging to see people leave. Other people's failures can become corrosive if the Bible study isn't spiritually mature, uh, if the, the Bible study isn't spiritually mature. Now listen, without a healthy Bible study, how will people be edified and strengthened in seasons of difficulty and pruning? So when the Bible study as a group has witnessed someone leaving and they're discouraged by that, that, that thing can rust the Bible study. It can hurt the Bible study. And if the Bible study itself isn't healthy, then how do we rebound when we face times of loss? So listen to me. For each of these stages, each of these markers, each of these indicators of unhealth, we must recognize there are biblical principles that can help promote vitality and mission-mindedness in a Bible study. But we got to have the right focus. So the, f- the first thing that we're going to talk about in terms of the five keys to a healthy Bible study, I'll say this. Dan Renault uh, wrote a blog post on the Living Faith Fellowship uh, website probably four months ago. And this material is derived from that content. And what we, what we recognize is that before we started talking about how, how like practical steps or philosophical steps to being an evangelical Bible study, what we needed to do was, was address the character of a Bible study to make sure that it's right, to make sure that it's healthy, that we had a healthy perspective. And so while we're calling this the five keys uh, to fit in maybe with the theme of Mark's book, we could call this the five values of a healthy Bible study just as easily. And the first thing we want to talk about is obedience. Obedience. Now, this might, this, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe this is really elementary. But it's so crucial. What, what else is there besides obedience? Obedience is the primary issue, isn't it? Over everything else, this must be a, 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 a top priority in every single one of our Bible studies. Obedience. The unquenchable thirst of every small group culture must be that whatever the book says, I am going to do it. After all, that's what makes us peculiar. That's what makes us as believers in Jesus Christ peculiar is because we take a book that we believe is divine in nature, inspired by the very breath of God, and we apply it to our lives literally. That's what makes us uh, pilgrims and strangers in this world. That's bizarre to the, lost, to the lost world. And so first and foremost, we have to have a value system in our culture, uh, in our small group culture that, that says that whatever the book says, guys, we're going to do that. And that begins, listen to me, that begins 
with the leaders in every small group. Every small group leader is the one that's responsible in terms of shepherding to infuse this culture into what if, if your small group is three people, five people, 12 people, 20 people. It is the leader's responsibility to see this value as important and primary and speak about it and model it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. These are men who got the word of God, believed it, and lived it. And such faith is not always indicative of our churches or our Bible studies. And the reason is because oftentimes our small groups are preoccupied with small talk, conjecture, and theological chest pounding. This can be true of all Bible studies old folks Bible studies, young folks Bible studies, but I want to warn the men real quick. I want to warn the men of the theological chest pounding. We can get so distracted with the periphery that we ultimately have nothing in terms of obedience to lay hold on. I mean, we we love to, 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 you know, mosey down a particular direction down a side road right we like to wander down those ways and we and we we love to have those conversations and they're great they're great for the coffee shop they're great for hanging out but listen to me when we're in our small group bible study together we have an objective and our objective is to obey the very words of god and if we're preoccupied with theological gallivanting and wandering and we will lose sight of the things that God has called us to be in terms of discipleship and obedience. Amen. For the girls, I think the danger, and I'll say this as a male, okay, so I apologize in advance, but I've witnessed enough female Bible studies to know that female Bible studies can often be preoccupied with small talk. Now, I won't go as far as to say that it's gossip, but I will say that there's a lot of small talk going on that can distract you from, from, the, from the importance of focusing on what the word of God says, how does it apply to my life, and how am I gonna believe God for living it out day to day? Our priorities can be off, our values can be off. But what about the simplicity of obedience? Not pledges 
our performance, simple obedience. Our pursuit does not begin with a fawning for knowledge, nor to seek out some hidden truth. That can't be our focus. Our pursuit begins by putting on virtue. In the scriptures, the word virtue is connected to power, action, and high character. When we consider the actionable nature of this word, I think a person who is willing to say yes to the Lord and living a life that simply agrees with God will ultimately demonstrate the things that we want to be seen in every disciple of Jesus Christ. Simply saying yes, that's a virtuous person. Simply saying yes. And how do we begin to create that culture? How do we begin to do that? So let's talk practically for a minute. First, Bible study leaders should emphasize the authority of God's word by speaking highly of it and treating it with great respect. That's the Bible study leaders uh, uh, that has to be a priority to them. So when when you're talking about the Bible, you ought to be talking about it with a high degree of respect and you actually ought to be going out of your way to be saying obnoxiously affectionate things about God's voice to you. I was looking at it this morning. I, I think, I think uh, it's the, the first 10 out of 11 instances of the word obey in Scripture are obey the voice. Obedience is always connected to a voice. God's word has been spoken to us. And the tone and the tenor of our life ought to be, I will obey obey it in every regard. And if Bible study leaders are going to preach anything or they're going to model anything, it ought to be, first and foremost, that God's word is the authority. And we're not going to walk out of this Bible study with a bunch of opinions about what we're supposed to do. We're going to take God's word for exactly what it says, and we're going to, we're going to commit and surrender to applying it in our lives. And we will hold, our, uh, hold each other accountable to that. So first and foremost, practically speaking, Bible studies ought to emphasize the authority of God's word. Second, Bible study leaders should make uh, sure time in God's word takes up the majority of the time together so not to minimize its importance. Okay, so when we get together, there's lots of things that we need to do in Bible study. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. Prayer is one of them. We got to spend time praying. It's absolutely crucial. Okay? We've got to pray. We've got to fellowship. There's things that we need to do. Bible studies should be those things. But listen to me. If the bulk of the time that you spend is not in God's word, learning from the voice, then the priority is off. So Bible study, it's your leader. It's your responsibility to make sure that the time is constructed in such a way that God's word is the primary focus, that you're spending the majority of your time going through the Bible Third, Bible study leaders should make uh, sure that devotional application is a priority in every meeting. And we'll talk more about how to do that tomorrow. James 1, through 25 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. 
deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And so it's a crime for Bible study leaders to let people leave the Bible study context without a a personal word from God, a devotional word from God, and the means to apply it in their life. I would bet that those four months that Jake spent in Bible study, before he even knew Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, that each time he walked out of Bible study, that he had some sort of biblical, uh, uh, devotional, personal thing that he was walking out of that he knew that he was supposed to apply to his life. As a lost man, Am I right, Jake? There we go. So in this, the personal application of truth becomes the most important endeavor. What's interesting is that in many Bible study groups, we would rather chase after some deep doctrinal or prophetic understanding of a text in the attempt to avoid real personal application. If we're honest with ourselves, some of us who enjoyed the theological and the academic, what we're actually doing is avoiding the personal. And I'm telling you that the the cultural shift begins with the leaders of all of our Bible studies. You know, often we scoff at the personal or devotional application as being the surface reading of a text. But in actuality, if we truly and directly face God's word, we know that we would be held accountable to it and that we would be forced to change the God that we serve. And that's what we're avoiding. We We don't want that. We're afraid of that. We're afraid of that. We're afraid of the change, but it's what everybody needs. And Bible study is useless if we're not walking away changed. Key question, do we want God's word to be a reality in our lives? Bible study can absolutely promote real change in people's lives, but it requires establishing a culture that invites the probing reality of God's word and the personal surrender to its authority over our lives. Listen to me. Not every week will we have revival in our Bible studies, but there will be a sustained an incremental revival in the lives of everyone in the group if the culture is obedience. I mean, this is what Alan was talking about when he was talking about personal revival comes first. And we have to emphasize that in Bible study. Personal revival. Obedience to God's word. It begins there. The next thing is transparency. How am I doing on time? I'm getting in the way. I don't even... I want to make sure I leave Dan enough time to address the things that he needs to address. Transparency, the beauty of transparency. Now, for some of you, that's a detestable word, transparency, because you know that it means vulnerable. And some of you don't like that. For some of you, the word transparency is sissified. It's a sissified word. That's me. I'm trying to pull out this, the southern thing for you guys. Sis, that's, is, Billy, is that a word you use, sissified? It sounds southern. <laughs> but listen to me. The definition of the word transparency is easily seen through, recognized, and detected. 
so sheer as to permit light to pass through. That's what transparency means. This is exactly what we want in a Christian. A heart and mind that's so see-through that it allows the light of God's word to penetrate and change them from the inside out. We want transparency. And transparency is ultimately the enemy of passivity. Transparency is the enemy of passivity. A lifestyle of transparency before the Lord can be cultivated in the context of a Bible study or small group. It can be. You know, so much of our Christian walk, especially with other people, is lived on the surface. Hey, brother, how you doing today? Good, man, good. I'm doing real good. God is good. Okay, that's, that's fine for in passing. But when you sit down in a Bible study, that ain't going to fly. That can't fly. See, most of us are afraid to open up to others, to let others in. Now, I get it. It takes time. It takes time. People need to prove their love for you. They need to prove, you know, when someone comes in, when a guy like Jake comes in to a Bible study or a small group, the guys in that group need to be real careful about how they probe. The expectation for a guy like like Jake in the beginning is not that he be particularly transparent, but that we work towards transparency. Because ultimately, if he wasn't transparent, he would have never accepted Christ. His wall had to come down. And that means that the people in the Bible study had to be proactive themselves about being transparent. They had to model it. Look, this is what Christian brothers do with one another. They open up and they make confession. They display their weaknesses. They're not afraid to do that. Not afraid to let others in. You know, Bible studies may be polished. They may be orderly. Some of us have very orderly Bible studies. Okay, 10 minutes for this. Ready, go. Ah, time's up, you know. They're very polished. They're very orderly. They're very doctrinal. But for many of us, we know that our Bible studies are innocuous. And that our prayers are non-affecting. Why? Because it's not an honest environment where people are unshackled for them, for, from their sin. Bible study becomes the highlight of a person's week when they know when they get there that they can be direct, honest, and yet accepted. See, what people don't know is that transparency is the culture of an unlocked heart. See, what people don't know is that transparency is a mind that's vulnerable to the word of God. What people don't know is that transparency is the beginning of true confession. What people don't understand is that transparency is an invitation to humility that ultimately sets people free to obey God's word. When we are transparent, the word of God can shine specifically on current, real situations in our lives. To this end, the lost will witness the impact that the word of God can have in the lives of those that are humble and open. 
And again, I don't want to speak on Jake's behalf, but I guarantee that he saw in his small group guys that in December were saying, hey, guys, I'm really struggling with this issue. But by January or February, he was watching them get victory because the men in that Bible study were praying specific prayers over that person's life. They were helping him apply God's word to his life. We have to have transparency. James speaks of the value of vulnerability among believers through the form of confession. James 5.16 says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In Acts, we see this kind of transparency on display in the church in Ephesus. Acts 19.16 says, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on, on, uh, on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them, on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Listen to this. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Can you imagine how that went down? The, the fear of God fell into the lives of these people, and they came together and began to show their wicked deeds. They put them on display. This is who I've been. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Listen to me. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. It began with fear. It became confession. And ultimately, it became the prevailing of God's word in the life of every single person. It is very important to know that vulnerability is not the goal. Okay? Having an emotional, like, therapeutic session is not the primary objective of a Bible study. It's just simply one of the vehicles that allows us to, to grow closer to one another and grow closer to God's word. Practically speaking, Bible study leaders should model transparency by making space for confessing weakness and applying God's word through prayer. Okay, so every single Bible study should leave space for people to, to, to confess to be vulnerable and open, this is what I've been struggling with. Now, for a Bible study leader, I just want to say this, that you've got to be really appropriate about how you make confession. When you're the leader of the group, you need to take those confessions to someone else. And I'm not telling you that you shouldn't confess. There should be a culture of confession in your life as well. But the things that you confess, because you've got weaker brothers and sisters in the group, you've got to be real careful about how you bring those things up. You understand? So there's some, there's some practicality to that. Take your confession to your pastor and sit down with them and work through those things. But in terms of the culture of the Bible study, every Bible study leader should clear off space for people to confess their weaknesses. That should be happening. Bible study leaders should actively build trust among members by encouraging deep friendships. And what I mean by that is that transparency can be cultivated the closer that people are to one another. And so if Bible study, again, if it's just an academic activity that you do every other week or whatever, then you're not going to build true friendships. 
People in Bible studies should be hanging out together. They should be spending time with one another. Now, young people, they can do that all the time. But, but you know what? Adults, too. Like, if you're older, your Bible study group should have time to go bowling together or whatever it is that you want to do, right? Is bowling what old people do? Oh. Some of you guys, some of the guys in Kaya just went bowling, so we can't. So that's not fair. But, okay, so, so, so older people, you go to Panera Bread and hang out. That I know is true. Anybody over the age of 40 loves a bread bowl. Just something happens in you. Bread bowls. I need one. I'm craving it. But we need time to hang, and we need friendships. We need true and meaningful friendships. And those will, that will cultivate transparency. Third, Bible study leaders protect the transparency of members by saving some conversations for private dialogue. In other words, a Bible study, a good Bible study leader makes space for a person who can't confess in the group setting to come to them and be vulnerable to them one-on-one so, that that, so they can counsel through that issue together. And so there should always be an invitation in your Bible study, uh, hey, I can tell that you're struggling with something. Would you want to get coffee this week so you, can, so you can tell me what's going on? A good Bible study leader is going to do that. Key question, do we want healing and freedom in our Bible studies? Bible study can absolutely promote a liberated and intimate faith in people's lives, but it requires establishing a culture that invites honesty and confession. In a small group where everyone understands they're weak, then there's no pretense, and the word of God can have free reign. Okay, so obedience, transparency, tag Dan, you're it. Okay, that was, uh, that was good, wasn't it? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brandon. Um, I want to invite Joe Medlin and then Micah Flint as well. Okay, I see both of you. Uh, I wanted to give some opportunities for some of our guys as well to give their testimony as to how God has used small group Bible study in their life, and it's been in a myriad of ways. Yeah, go ahead. Come on up. Uh, also... Um, even though there is a great ability with young adults and with college students and things like that, because of the availability of time and, and all of the resources that you have, um, I do want this also to be known. Um, it is, and, and where's Brandon? Where did he go? There you are, right there. Uh, it is, it's, 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 it's conven- convenience, probably not the right word. It, it's, for young adults, it, there's a, an availability uh, and, and so, man, if you're a young adult and you're not in a Bible study, come on, change that, right? Because you do have the time to be a part of that. Uh, but I also want to have Joe and, and Micah up here because uh, Bible study is not just for the young guys, okay? And this is something that can be really uh, available for, um, for the old fogies like us. So, anyway, this is Joe. Uh, please welcome him. Thank you, thank you. So I am uh, almost representing the bread bowl demographic. <laughs> but I'm not quite there, but I'm getting close, I think. So Dan, in, in true Dan fashion, just, well, it's been a few days ago, but just said, will you give testimony about small groups? And that's all I got. So I, I didn't quite know what to say. Uh, didn't want to try to teach a lesson, because that's what they're doing, of course, but wanted to give testimony and, and something unique. But I was, uh, I was getting dressed this morning and t- deciding what to wear and put on a shirt with multiple buttons. 
um, with this group here. But then I see Micah. Micah's going to come out shine me a little bit in a second as well. Micah knows how to dress, so I appreciate that. Uh, what, I, what I wanted to share, though, was a testimony in my life of how Bible study has been a culture in my life. And so Brandon talked about, um, you know, not, not making, you know, I am a, a right-brained person. Everything is very logical and natural, but at the same time, I grew up, uh, I see my stepbrother Aaron in the back, we grew up together in a culture where our home was always open, right? There were always, like, we didn't really know who we were related to at times. We weren't sure how we were related when we were younger. And a lot of you know my dad, Mitch Medlin, and so it was, it was a great way to grow up, but, um, you know, we we're just always in Bible studies. I remember when I went to my wife Lauren's house for the first time as a teenager, and I had real, like a deja vu moment that I had been there before because I had been at a Bible study at her house, like as a young child, which is really weird. I was in the backyard, they had a trampoline. Anyway, all that happened. So I, I thought about my experience and how I, I saw a Bible study happen. I wasn't even really in Bible study, of course, especially, you know, seven, eight years old, but I was around it, and it was just natural. And so then I get into middle school and high school, and I'm in Bible study participating, you know, kind of like, like Jake's testimony. Right now, I was saved at a young age, but I was, I was just there, right? I didn't really know why. It was a great time. We had lots of fun. We'd played dodgeball before, you know, that, that type of mentality. Uh, but, you know, that transition on to, okay, so I get married, and now it's, it's my turn to grow up, if you will. It's my turn to host Bible studies and, and lead Bible studies, and just the dramatic change of, of owning it. Right, and I think that's the thing that Brandon talked about where even now at this point in my life, I look over here and I see a lot of people in my Bible study. That's awesome that, that's hosted at my house, but it's, it's, uh, it's what I look forward to, right? I'm actually kind of mad because Wednesday night's our Bible study night and we have, this week we can't meet, right? We, we can't meet as a Bible. I was joking with my group. Um, but I look forward to it that much where every week I want to be together. And, and so I go back and I look at, and so I'll kind of rewind a little bit because then I want to share the testimony as a father. And that's where I wanted to go with this is creating a culture in my home. And I don't know that I intentionally did it. I saw a, a, a meme or whatever on Facebook the other day. And it talked about, you don't realize when you're young that you're, you're also watching your parents grow up. And so my kid, my son's my daughter's not, but they watched us grow up. And so we, don't, we didn't know what we were doing raising kids. My kids are 9 and 12 now, and we still don't know what we're doing raising kids. I'll be clear about that. But one thing is we wanted to have a home that was conducive to inviting, right? How, how my parents raised me. We wanted to have a home where the word of God was prevalent, right? We didn't know what that meant or looked like, but we quickly discovered small groups was part of that. My daughter was three years old and we were leading, a, we were in the high school ministry at KCBT at the time and we had a Bible study that kept growing and growing and it was weird. We had like 50 high school kids in our house, which was like bursting at the seams. It was probably, should have been split. We didn't have the concept of splitting at the time. Dan introduced that to me later. But uh, my daughter's there, right? And she's three. And so she's, she's preparing like the food because I have a wife. When it's a guy's Bible study, it's the guys knowing the guy's night, you might get a bag of chips. But, but when there's a woman involved, a lot of times that helps, right? So she's helping prepare things and clean the house. Okay, whatever, that's nothing. Next thing I know, I find out when we split with guys and girls that uh, my daughter's name is Ella. Ella's upstairs with the girls praying with the high school girls and part of the Bible study. And, and we had a, like a worship element, at the, uh, element of our Bible study at that time with a couple high school guys that could play guitar. And so she had this little keyboard and she'd be like playing her little keyboard during the worship time and, and she's just playing. That's nothing, right? So then I'll fast forward a little more. So she's seeing it, right? She's there. 
she's in the first grade, and a lot of you have heard the story, and I didn't want to make it about the story, but in the first grade, she decided she wanted to have a Bible study, which as a, as a dad, kind of, it didn't scare me, but I was like, are you sure? What are you doing? Are you going to be made fun of? You know, you're, you're a kid, and I but she did, and so she made flyers and, and drew it up and put a time and a date at our house, and uh, we made copies, and she passed them out. And that night at school, after school, we got a call, and the teacher was mad because you can't do that in public school. So just so you know, teachers, you've been in public school. For some reason, that's against the rules. Whatever. Uh, but the, it had been done, and so the, <laughs> she already passed them out. So that Wednesday came, and one mom and two daughters showed up. And then the next week, she invited another mom that had three daughters. So now it's a small group. And later, it's like 20 elementary kids are meeting at our house. And it's kind of crazy. And, and this is okay. This is, she was in the first grade. So like five years ago. Right? So that goes on for about six months. And me and Dan realized there's an opportunity to maybe minister to the community. Right? So we hosted a little event, a little carnival. And we said, hey, we're going to invite your parents. Now we like, parents, you should also come study the Bible. And that was small, but it grew and grew. Um, you know, started out with maybe four or five families at one point, I think is right. And it grows. And the next thing we know is about 50 people in our living room. And, and that was kind of the genesis of what became the church plant in Lee Summit, of Living Faith Lee Summit. And, and I say that, I say all that to just talk about the testimony in my life is how Bible study has been great for me to learn the Word of God and to have friends in my life. I was talking about my groups here. I've been in Bible studies in Dan's home, in Brandon's home. I see John Kindler back there with John and Philip and a lot of guys in this room I've been in Bible study with. And how to me, Bible study has been more of a culture, more of a lifestyle, more of a, it's, it's, it's what I'm rooted in, right? It's not about how cool Ruth was. We just studied Ruth as our group. It was great. I hope we learned a lot. But it was more about we had someone in our group go through a health issue. Well, that gets to be shared, and that gets to be prayed over, and we get to provide meals. We got someone in our group that moved recently. Well, they can share that, and they have friends that come alongside. So I think, if anything, with this testimony, it's probably way over the time you asked me to do, was just to try to talk about and promote that in my life and in my home, the role that Bible study has played has been one where it's, it's what we're about. Not necessarily that hour and a half on Wednesday night, but what I want my children to grow up living life like, what I want our free time, even if it's... Christmas Eve day, helping a friend move, which happened this year. Whatever it is that, that Bible study is more than that one and a half hours that you spend. And so that's, that's what I wanted to share today, and I'll give this back. That's good. Yeah. This is Micah Flint. And I don't have any um, dental issues. Just want to let you know, Brandon, I beat you on that one. Um, never, had a, never had a cavity. Um, so I'm, I'm going to kind of take it at, <laughs> yeah, just a little brag in there. I'm going to take a little uh, different approach. Um, this past fall, Dan and I got to um, co-lead a, uh, a small group, a Bible study. And, um, and what the experience was, we were going through Galatians for me was, um, you know, the law versus grace. And I just was wrestling with this, you know, as, a, as one of the leaders, um, the, the concept of grace, not just for my salvation, but was I um, resting in his grace for sustainability, for sanctification? And, and so as a leader, I'm struggling through this because we're teaching this. And I'm like, what about my life? What, where am I at? And beginning of November, um, Living Faith, uh, we do a three-week fast. And, um, and I, you know, and I, I jumped in with that, and um, things just started happening. Like three days later, 
just, just burdens started to pile up in my life. Um, health issues, kids are, you know, having issues at school, family, um, work. And I'm like, God, what, what's going on? You know, what, what's happening? And, and through that process, thank God we were, we were fasting because that was a hard time in my life and my family's life. So praise God for that. Uh, but what I started to realize is God's humbling me. He's, he's bringing me low. And because I needed to be humbled because my pride was preventing that grace in my life to, to really um, take hold. And so um, I say that because um, one of the things that I notice in, in Bible study many times is that as leaders, we approach it as we got this together. You know, we're, we, we studied it out, which I did. Um, we, we know the material, which I felt like I did, but I wasn't obeying because my pride was preventing me from obeying. And uh, I'm, I, I just reflect on, um, I believe it's Philippians 2.8. And um, it talks about how Christ humbled himself. And then it says that he was obedient unto death. First came humility, and then came obedience. And I think it's, it's something in my life that, you know, when we do lead Bible studies, it's for us as well. Don't just think it's, I'm coming to, to, to give a good teaching to someone else. It's for us. God has something for you as a leader as well. So, so. so uh, thank you, Joe and Micah. Uh, it's very interesting. Micah had to, he's at work today. He came on his lunch break just now. Uh, and yet, Micah, you don't know this, but that was the passage that Alan Shelby was preaching in the earlier session was Philippians uh, chapter two. And so praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord how God works. And so thank you, Micah. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Jake, as well. Uh, praise the Lord, right? Uh, I loved how Joe was saying it has just become a culture in their home. Uh, it's not Wednesday night. Oh, we got Bible study. Uh, get the brownies ready, you know, or whatever it is. And, you know, clean the house, you know. Uh, it's... This is our life. Uh, our life is a life of Bible study. And whether it's with the lost or with the saved, I just want to have the book open. Can I have the book open with you? Can I have the book open uh, with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Sure. Can I have the book open with my neighbor? I hope so. Can I have the book open with my coworker? Can I have the, I just want the book open. And then when it's open, I don't have a, a thought that I have it all put together. I need to make sure that I am modeling what? Obedience to it. I'll tell you, no one really cares how much you know about the Bible. Sorry. If you were hoping for that, no one cares. No one cares. But I'll tell you what, what, what what's powerful is, one, is when someone says, I'm going to obey. Because I'm telling you what, that book, that book is dynamite. It is, it, is, it is so impactful. It will change everything about you. And then if you just say, listen, I'm not, I don't have it figured out. I don't have everything, you know, uh, right in my own life. But, but you know what? What God tells me to do, whew, I'm going to do it. I'll tell you this. People's eyes are going to go, whew. they're going to lock on you. Not because of perfection, not because of that you have it all figured out, but because they see an individual who is choosing to live a blameless life and a life of obedience to his word. 
So we model obedience. And then secondly, what Brandon was saying is we, we model transparency. And I know in, in many opportunities we do, we think of that word and like, oh man, give me a break, you know, let's just get in the book, preach the word, brother, you know. And, and, and what we do is we, we, we have this like machismo going on into the doctrinal aspects of the word of God and when we get into the, the depths of it, and by all means, that's outstanding. It really is, I'm not mocking that. But yet what we do is in doing so, sometimes we limit ourselves from actually staring God face to face and saying, oh God, what do you want to say to me? And God, what are you wanting to do with us? We need, we need God to do that work in us. So we need to model obedience and we need to model transparency. But here's the danger, the caveat, and Brandon already said it, is man, sometimes though what we view transparency, if everyone's crying, if everyone's on their knees, if everyone's doing this, then yes, Lord, we had the Bible study of the century and no change. We all got vulnerable. We all got in the vehicle. We all went to town and we realized vulnerability was not the destination. It was just the way to get us there. It was just taking us to that place. And so we need to model those things, though, so that obedience and submission to God, whether lost or saved, can be made possible. So we have a short amount of time, but I'm going I'm to race through it. You guys ready? Yeah? Okay, let's do number three. Number three, healthy Bible studies will exhibit humility. Healthy Bible studies will exhibit humility. Roosters, you know, they crow for a good number of reasons. Most commonly, people hear roosters in the early morning as nature's alarm clock. Man, I was in, I was in India last, uh, oh man, it was last December, I think, and uh, it, it was probably 4.15. <laughs> and we're in this hotel and getting ready to do the, the pastor's conference and and this, this rooster, man, he wouldn't stop. I'm talking like, we got it, we're awake. And it's like, no, nope, I'm again. You know, I mean, I'm talking like, I don't know if it was, uh, was I with Alvaro? I can't remember. Is Alvaro here? He not here right now? Uh, man, it was just every, every like minute this thing was going off. And it was killing me, but I'll tell you what, I was awake. It did its job. So roosters, they, they crow, right? But another important reason for why roosters crow you guys know another, another reason for why they do it is to claim territory, to let other roosters know that, that you are trespassing on my grounds. These are my stomping grounds, and I just want everyone to know. Now, I don't know about the ladies, uh, Brandon does, but sometimes, <laughs> guys, sometimes guys can be like this. Sometimes Guys can be like these roosters in a Bible city, just crowing about all the things that we know. Just crowing, man. We just keep going with all the things that we know about the word. And strangely, we do this sometimes even when the opposite sex is not even around. I'm thinking like, well, man, I get it. If, you know, if you're trying to impress a lady, you know, but it's like with the other guys, it's like, really? Yeah. I don't know. That doesn't do much for me, but okay. You know, so... But no, we, we, we just want to crow and we want everyone to know, you know, how, how amazing I am and how much I know of the word. All so often, maybe I'm switching my, my metaphors right now, but we, we're marking our territory as the top dog. Marking our territory. Although Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it reminds us, for by grace are ye saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so whatever you've learned in the book, it's only by the grace of God on your life. It's only by his grace. Philippians 1, 6, it expounds on this. Being confident of this very thing. I'll tell you, if there's one thing I'm confident of, Paul says this while he's in jail, uh, writing to the Philippians, I'm, I'm confident of this thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That God will do that. And Galatians 2.20, as we read earlier today, should make things painfully obvious that your life is not your own. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Simply put, in your Bible studies, there is no room, and in your spiritual life, there is no room for bragging in the kingdom of God. There's no room for it. Healthy Bible studies cannot afford this type of show-off or performance behavior. Because typically it breeds a culture of one-upmanship. Healthy and, and may I even say mature Bible studies are not about what you know of the Bible, but rather that you are known of God. We must check this toxic behavior. Out of this mindset, the focus realigns not on all the things that I know of God, but that I'm simply known of Him. And so as I study the Word of God, I come before Him, what? I'm thankful. I'm not arrogant. I'm not proud on all the things that I know. I'm thankful because I'm known of Him. And so I begin to realign my focus. My mission focus gets realigned to a merciful God. This is a merciful God who loves me and knows me. And so from this vantage point, I am reminded of my accountability to a loving and just creator. Don't forget that, that he is our creator, that we are accountable to them. And so now from this thankful vantage point, I can now realign myself and be reminded that I'm accountable to him. I'm accountable to God, my creator, who has expectations for my life. Now, knowing a bunch of, of stuff in front of an all-knowing God, it doesn't sound as impressive now, does it? All the things that you know, all the things that I know, when I really start thinking about it in context of my creator, in context of the God who made this universe, in the context of understanding now, once again, who he is, I start to realize, oh, I'm nothing. I'm really nothing, am I? And so now within that context, all the things that I know about the Bible and, and all the ways that I'm going to pontificate and, and show you all the ways in which you should just be enamored by my wisdom, really in the presence of not your brothers and sisters, but in the presence of God, it's not that impressive, is it? It's not. But humbling myself, humbling myself with what I do know is of great concern and great value. In addition, as it relates to humility, I found that it's easy to tell other people what's wrong with their lives. But it's another thing to humbly walk with them, showing how they can recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. It's easy to be a critic 
whether it's Bible study, whether it's in a counseling situation, whether it's just in your church, whether it's in your sphere of influence, maybe it's whether, whether it's even with the lost. It's easy to be a critic. It's easy to point out as the perfect spectator all the flaws of everyone around you. Like the fan who has never played the game but is soundly available for every critique. The judging Bible study or church member does little to affect change and a lot to disrupt unity. The one who's constantly just watching, the one who's constantly pointing all of the issues in other people's lives and is, and is fully aware and available for that critique, they do little to actually help grow the body of Christ and a lot to actually disrupt it. Speaking of the critic, in the flesh, it is strangely satisfying to see other people fall, is it not? All along saying, I knew it. I knew it. I saw that coming. Man, I saw that coming from a mile away. Oh, you saw that? I saw that coming two months ago. And we just, we're one-upping each other, watching another person, whether they don't know the Lord yet, or whether they they do know the Lord, and we, 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 we watch them as spectators, pointing all the ways in which they've fallen. And we find it strangely satisfying. To this I want to say, well then, why didn't you, at mile marker number one, begin running to help them? Why weren't you running with them? When you saw the glimpse of it, why didn't you begin to just shout after them, plead with them, beg with them, for God's mercy to be present on their lives? Oh, I saw it coming. If there's one thing, the Lord knows there's many, but if there's one thing that has brought about humility in my life, it's the ministry. And so I got nothing to crow about. I got nothing to to say I got it all figured out. I have nothing to where I can have this judgmental behavior, this proud, short-sighted, judgmental mindset on others. No, I look at at how God has been so favorable, so so kind, so generous to me. What am I going to crow about? So if there's one thing, and, and 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 we're talking in the context of Bible studies, but man, I'm just talking about my life right now. And the ministry, it has shown me, you can't do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. No matter how hard I try, I can't do it. I'm always brought back to the place where I realize I need the Lord. I'm incapable on my own. Thus being a doer of the word brings humility. Not because of my doing. But in the place of that doing, I see my inability. And I am reminded once again that I need the Lord. In this place, I've got no time to be the critic. I've got no time to be the critic of my brothers and sisters in Christ. I've got no time to be a critic of the lost because I see my inability in the Lord. In this place, I have no time to be a judge. All I know is that I need to be submitted to the word of God and active in his work. Deuteronomy 30, 14, it says, But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. 1 Chronicles 28, 20, And David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and of good courage, and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee, until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the Lord. We must humble ourselves before God. We must humble ourselves before his word. Stop being the critic. Stop being the spectator and say, oh God, would you just make it so in me? 
And so we live lives of, of, of obedience before the word. We model that. We live lives of transparency, vulnerability before God, openness before God, openness before each other. We are humbled by his word because we know who we, we serve. We serve the creator of the universe. The last thing I'd say about humility, especially as it relates to our personal time in the word or our time together in Bible study, is found in 1 Samuel 3.19. Samuel is said to have left none of his words, none of God's words fall to the ground. That he let none of these words fall to the ground. And this is critical for a healthy Bible study. When we let the words of God fall to the ground, it shows a lack of care for their significance. Likewise, when every word is measured and found to be priceless, we are placing ourselves in a wonderful place of humility and majesty. Number four, healthy Bible studies require a readiness of mind. Acts 17, 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. A readiness of mind is a willing mind. And would to God we would have individuals in our Bible studies that possess this character. I will say this, believers and non-believers who are willing to participate. That you would have individuals who would simply say, I'm willing. If we can have obedience, we can have transparency and vulnerability, we can have humility, but if there is not a readiness if there is not a willingness to participate in the Bible study, then you're going to have a very difficult time seeing this become healthy. These are individuals willing to dive in, willing to embrace the scriptures, willing to challenge their brothers and sisters in the Lord, willing to fight for what they believe in, and willing to warn others of things unprofitable and harmful to the body. You need this. You cannot force this. But you need this. If you are willing, if you are desiring to use the word of God in the souls of men, if you are desiring to make disciples, to have home Bible studies, campus Bible studies, work Bible studies, if that is you, then you must right now get on your knees and say, oh God, would you give me people of peace, individuals who will be willing and have a readiness of mind, not perfect, not even blameless. They don't have it all figured out, but, but God, would you give me people that want it? Give me people that want your book. Maybe they don't even know you, but give me people that have a readiness of mind, willing to search the scriptures. This readiness of mind is a mind of preparation and execution. In this instance, those who attend are not looking to be spectators, but are eagerly hoping to enter the fray. And as leaders, you want to engage people at every level they have ability. And maybe this goes without saying, but studying the Bible, studying the Bible in the flesh is awful. Anyone? Yes? Studying the Bible in the flesh is the worst. It is the worst. It's awful. And yet we do it so often. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? As Christians, we, we know that like, oh, it's so bad. And the flesh is like, you're killing me, but yet I'm still alive, right? And, and, we're, and we're just, it's so terrible and we're, we, we hate it. And yet we're like, and I got to read today. <laughs> you know, we do it again and no closer to God. And God's like, I'm over here. You know, no, I'm in your book. I hear you. Amen. Okay, next thing. 
And so, but man, isn't it awful? It's, so, it's, it's such a begrudging thing. So often we study the Bible or attend small group begrudgingly, don't we? Ecclesiastes 10.1 says, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. Whoa. <sighs> Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary, what should be this beautiful smell, man, it starts to make it stink. And man, if this isn't the case for our Bible studies as well, what should be one of the sweetest moments of the week ends up smelling unsavory due to uninterested parties. Ask the Lord that God would give you people that have a readiness of mind. Healthy Bible studies require willing minds. Look for people who seem willing as well. Look for people like Ezra, who was called a ready scribe and was always ready to write down the words of God. Here's our last one, and I'm gonna to try to hurry as quick as I can. Healthy Bible studies are edifying. The word edify means to build up. One can think of the word edifice as well, which refers to a building. The word and all of its derivatives does not show up in the Old Testament. Did you guys know that? The word edify, edifice, doesn't show up in the Old Testament. You know, you won't find it in the Gospels either. Edify, edification, edify it. It's not found in the Gospels either. The first time the word appears in is, is in Acts 9.31. And every instance of the word is directed to the church age. To provide some context, right before this verse, we see that there was great persecution being waged against the early church. Acts 9.31, it says, this was following a great time of trial. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. What we see from this verse is that their ability to rest from the persecution gave them space to be edified. The space and time of reprieve, which a Bible study with other believers in Jesus Christ should accomplish, it made it possible for them to be built up. So the rest with the body of Christ allowed people to be built up. So what does this mean? It means that those times of rest from trial and problem are necessary for you to be edified or built up in the Lord. People are going through real problems. Does your Bible study, if you are a Bible study leader, does your Bible study provide rest for those who are weary? The next passage where we find the word edify is Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things where, wherewith one may edify another. So what's the point? It's simply this. I can only be a person of edification when I stop focusing on myself and I begin to seek the welfare of others. As I submit to this passage, I become more interested in building others up than myself. So then Bible study is not about all the things that I can get as the consumer Christian. Now the Bible study is actually how God can use me to actually build and edify someone else. In Romans 14, we find the context is all about eating meat and meat that was served unto idols. There were some who had just accepted Christ as their savior, new believers, and they couldn't justify eating meat that was served unto idols. While more mature believers knew that the idol was simply a carved piece of wood or stone, so they didn't have a problem buying what possibly could have been cheaper meat. Romans 14, 20 through 23, it says, for meat destroy not the work of God. All th things indeed are pure, but it is evil 
for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, if you weren't paying attention, you may have missed it. To be clear, edification is about seeking how to build someone else up. But not only that, edification is also tied to faith. In 1 Corinthians 10.23, we again see the word edify. And once again, it is regarding food served unto idols. In this passage, Paul is telling the church that true edification happens when we seek to build others up and not ourselves, choosing not to offend others as well. Why? Because this could shake their foundation. It could shake their foundation. But what is their foundation? And what are we building upon? You see, edification cannot simply be the building up of ourselves or even of others. Edification is about the building up of our faith. It's not that I'm getting stronger. We need to make each other stronger. We need to be stronger Christians. No, it's not that you and I are becoming stronger, but that my faith is becoming stronger. But that Christ, that he is strong even in my weakness. Because let's be honest, in our Bible studies, in our Christian walks, the last thing we really need is more of me built up. We don't need more of me. We don't need more of you. And so when we really are thinking about what edification means, it's that we need more of God's faith in our lives. We need more of God. And we need our faith to be built up. Again, for, building any, uh, for any building, we need a strong foundation. That foundation must be faith. If anything else is being built up or built upon, it will not last. John 3.30, it says, he must increase, but I must decrease. So then the purpose of edification is quite specific to our faith being built up. And I promise I'm going to quick, uh, quickly end. Hang with me. The purpose of edification is quite specific to our faith being built up. And when someone says, you really edified me, what that means biblically is not that you comforted me or that I was necessarily encouraged. Did you guys catch that? But in all reality, in reality, that in edifying me, you built my faith in what the Lord has done. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as ye also do. The word speaks of comforting and edifying as two different tasks. In this passage, Paul is speaking of the coming day of the Lord, preparing them for what was to come. So how is this a passage and a message of edification? Because even in the warning, our faith in God is enlarged. Not our personal faithfulness or our growing spiritual ability. Not that I am being built up, but that our faith in what God will accomplish according to his word is being built up. So what's the point? Especially as it relates to our small group Bible studies, edification is a different function than exhortation and comfort. It has a different role, and we must be acquainted with it if we are going to have healthy, mature Bible studies. So as we study the Word of God, we should not only be comforting those who are hurting, but also edifying them, building them up in their faith that God is enough. We don't have time to go to it. Actually, let's read it. First, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience 
of Christ. This passage speaks of tearing things down and building things up again. And yet verse 8 says that edification is not for our destruction. Once again, verse 4 and 5, it speaks of dismantling strongholds. But verse 8 says that edification is not destructive. So how is this so? Simply put, as it relates to spiritual warfare, those strongholds need to come down if you're ever going to build again. Just as Paul instructed them to tear down the things that were keeping keeping them from believing the promises of God, we must likewise tear down those strongholds in our lives if we're ever going to be built up again by the promises of his word. And so we have these five keys to Bible study. Humility, I'm sorry, obedience, that we will model that. Transparency, that we will model that. That we will be people that humble ourselves, not as spectators, not as critics, but humble ourselves before a mighty God. That we would realize that Bible studies that are going to have health and vitality must require a readiness of mind. And lastly, that we'll be willing to be Bible studies that will avail themselves and and allow actually edification. I have five questions up here, and we're going to read them very quickly. Will you obey and encourage others to obey the specific instruction of God's word today? Will you obey and encourage others to obey the specific instruction of God's word? Will you be open and transparent with God and others so the word of God can be directly and specifically applied to your life and circumstances? Will you humbly approach God's word, not as a critic, but in submission, and esteem others better than yourself? Will you have a willing mind to be a participant in your Bible study, not coming to the word of God or your study in a begrudging manner, but with hope and optimism regarding the promises and people of God? And then lastly, will you choose to edify the body of Christ with the word of God so their faith in God is increased? I know I was going like crazy fast. I pray that this was edifying to you. I pray that this has been encouraging for you. And I know that I have gone long. And so I want to close. Thank you for this time. Pastor Briscoe is going to be sharing with us tomorrow Discovery Bible Method, um, which is fantastic. It's going to be very uh, enlightening. I know that. And so please come back for that. Otherwise, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I do thank you for this time. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.